Have you ever curled up in a corner? You know, your mom wouldn't put chocolate syrup and sprinkles on your ice cream, so you went over in the corner and curled up and pouted because you didn't get your sprinkles and your syrup. Or maybe that really, really mean girl made fun of your new haircut in the food court in front of everybody. And you went home and you went over and curled up in the corner and, and you just cried. Or your team lost the big game when your quarterback threw an interception in the corner of the end zone as time ran out. And you go over in the corner and you curl up and you're angry and you pout because your team lost the game. Shauna Rowe used to curl up in the corner at gym class all the time. Well, not all the time, one particular day especially. She went and curled up in the corner on dodgeball day. She did not like dodgeball day. She didn't like people hurling balls at her. She was not interested in that at all. She couldn't wait for dodgeball day to be over. Shauna Rose, 24 years old now. You know where she is today, this weekend? She is at the World Dodgeball Championship. She is actually a member of Team Canada. So she, at some point, has crawled out of the corner, and she is now hurling the balls at people herself. Dodgeball. Most of us know what dodgeball is, right? Dodgeball is where usually you have a couple of teams and at the very least, what you have is someone who's throwing a ball, and you have to dodge the ball. Maybe you're throwing the ball, or maybe somebody's throwing the ball at you, but there's a whole lot of dodging of the ball. Now, dodgeball is not just something that happens in gym class, right? I mean, in some way, we are all playing dodgeball every single day. We're dodging traffic on the way to work. We're dodging calories, or we're dodging exercise. I died laughing when I sat down by Noah on the front row this morning. I said, hey, man, how you doing? Gave him a little fist bump. He goes, well, I'm doing okay, but I'm not too excited about school. <laughs> no hesitation. Nah, I'm not excited about it. You know, we, we want to dodge school. We want to dodge homework. We want to dodge group projects. We want to dodge our supervisor. We want to dodge that guy down in cubicle five who just always says weird things. We want to dodge overpriced produce. We want to dodge reality TV. Well, maybe that's a prayer of mine. I want us to start dodging reality TV more and more as Christians. There's some things, though, that we don't need to dodge, right? We don't need to dodge the IRS. And we don't need to dodge the police. We don't need to dodge our bills. We don't need to dodge our marriage. We don't need to dodge our family. We don't need to dodge our responsibilities. You see, there's some things that we dodge because they're just not fun or they are annoying. And there's some things that we dodge because we need to dodge them. They're bad for us. They're things that we need to stay away from. And then there's some things that we don't need to dodge because they're either necessary or they're good for us. And then there's some things that we don't need to dodge because they're necessary and they're good for us. Today, we're going to look at something that is both necessary and good for us. 
Something that we do not need to dodge. Something that as a pastor and a teacher, I don't need to dodge. And something that as a listener, you don't need to dodge. In fact, if we were to dodge this, it would be really bad for both of us. I don't need to dodge it, and neither do you. So what is this thing we don't need to dodge? Well, let's find out. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. Paul writes to Titus, These things speak and exhort and reprove. Have you ever given anybody instructions to do something and you're kind of giving them the instructions and as you're giving them the instructions, they have that face and they're saying, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. If you've ever had a teenager, you kind of know the idea of what I'm talking about. And the whole time you're thinking, I don't know if they really have it or not. Like for instance, let's say that you were giving somebody instructions on how to make spaghetti with meat sauce. You would tell them, well, you have to take the ground beef and you have to cook the ground beef and, and then you have to take the noodles and you have to cook the noodles and then you, you take the sauce and then you take the, the cooked ground beef and you mix it in with the sauce and, and then you put the cooked noodles on the plate and then you put the sauce on top of the thing and there you go, here's, here's your spaghetti. And so you give those instructions to somebody and they bring out to you their first time attempt at spaghetti. And, you know, it, it looks really good on the plate. And, and then you go to, to take a bite of it. And as soon as you bite into it, you, you realize something is not right. That the meat had never been cooked. <laughs> Just got mixed in with the sauce. That, that's a true story, by the way. <laughs> and, and bless her heart. It's not my wife. Bless her heart. That young woman has gone on to become a great mother and, and wife and everything else in life. But there was a day that she forgot to cook the meat. You see, that one instruction was incredibly important, but it was left out. Paul has been writing to Titus because he's trying to help Titus, and he's trying to help some other Christians on the island of Crete around 60 A.D. But this message... And what we see this morning is not just for people way back in 60 A.D. It is also for people on the island of North America and beyond in 2015. Things that we need for our life. Thus far in chapters 1 and 2, Paul has been given a lot of practical advice on how Christians need to live, what they need to do with their life. And these are instructions, they're, they're counsel, they're advice that you kind of need to look at all of it. You can't just like miss the first one. You, you really need to get all of them. And all of these things that he's been writing about fall under one category. And that category, if we were to put it in words, would be sound doctrine. Back in verse 1, Paul wrote this. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is what we do not need to dodge. So what is sound doctrine? We've used this definition before. Sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. Now, sound doctrine is not something that you know, seminary guys learn and pastors go learn when they go off to school. Sound doctrine actually matters for you today at the restaurant after church. It matters for teachers and students their first day of class. It matters in your marriage. It matters in your parenting. It matters in everything that you do. You see, sound doctrine is getting the story, God's story, understanding it, getting the whole message of the Bible, understanding that message, and then doing something with that message. Actually applying it to how you think and how you act and how you talk and how you live. 
It means that the message actually gets inside of us. See, sound doctrine is good for us. See, it would be really, really bad and possibly spiritually tragic if I decided I was going to dodge sound doctrine. And it would be really bad if you decided that, that you were just going to dodge sound doctrine. It's necessary. It's good for us. And so how can we avoid this? How can we avoid not just running by sound doctrine? How can we avoid making sure that we get these truths, these things that God wants us to do? Well, let me just give you kind of a practical thing maybe. We've been walking through the book of Titus. Maybe, maybe sometime this week you go back and you read through chapters 1 and 2 again. We've come to the end of 2. We'll be moving on to 3. won't take as long as 2. But, but maybe you go back and read through chapters 1 and 2 and you look at those sentences and you go, you know what? These things are necessary for my life. It's not just some book in the Bible. They're, they're necessary for my life. And not just are they necessary, not just are they commanded, they're actually good for me. These truths are good for me. These are things that we cannot dodge. These truths about God are things that we cannot dodge. And see, they're not just supposed to be one sermon. You know, you can listen to a sermon, you can go, ah, it's all right, you know, it's pretty good. I mean, I liked it while I was there. But you may completely forget it by the time you get to the buffet, Okay. So, so the idea is not just that, oh, we're supposed to have one you know, sermon that gets everything in there. But rather, this letter, when Paul wrote it and gave it to Titus, it was a letter that would be read over and over again in the church. It wasn't just something that they would do in a Bible study for the month of January. They would read these truths over and over and over. And so Titus was called to communicate these things. And how was he supposed to communicate them? Well, Paul tells him, let's look at these one by one. He tells them to speak, exhort, and reprove. Well, what do those things mean? Well, we'll look at speak first. The leaders of the church are primarily pastors or elders. But there are other leaders in the church, right? Some of you are Sunday school teachers. Some of you are staff. Some of you are deacons. Some of you are volunteers in the nursery. Some of you are ushers or greeters. There's all kind of leaders in the church. And so all types of leadership in the church should be communicating sound doctrine. In other words, the things that we know about God, the truths about God, we're, we're kind of supposed to be communicating where we go and what we do. And not just in Sunday school lessons, and not just in sermons, and not just in devotionals, but really we should be doing it in all of life. In other words, the things that we know about God, we should be speaking about. We should be communicating at home, at work, at school, at the ballpark, at the stadium, at the grocery store, at the donut shop, and the vacation spot. And there's really not a place that the things of, of God are only supposed to be. They're not just supposed to be in this room on Sunday mornings or on this campus on Sunday mornings. The reality is we're supposed to take these things about God everywhere that we go. But it is particularly important that there is sound doctrine in the sermon. It's kind of like my friend Jimmy has said before. He said, you know, the reality is when I'm preaching, I'm not there to be your friend. You see, the reality is I need to be very careful about making sure that I'm worried about you liking the sermon. Now, that doesn't mean I want you to hate the sermon, you know. And it doesn't mean that I'm just supposed to be mean about everything and, you know, scream and yell and beat the pulpit and beat the air and say, hey, you sorry scoundrel. No, that's not the idea behind preaching. But it does mean when I look at what it means to preach a sermon, I need to be sure that I'm getting the message that, that God's message is what's being communicated. 
Forgive me if I've shared this story with you before. Years ago, I was eating at California Dreamin' in Greenville, South Carolina, with friends from college. We were all sitting there around the table, and we ordered our drinks, and I think most of us got sweet tea or water, but, but my roommate Whitney, he, he got a Coke. And so when the waiter came over to the table to bring Whitney his Coke, he had this really cool old classic Coke bottle. And he was holding it over his forearm, wrapped in a towel like it was an expensive bottle of wine. And he looked at Whitney, he said, sir, will this be okay? And Whitney kind of nodded. We're all going, what in the world? And so he proceeded to open up, you know, that Coke, and he slowly poured it into Whitney's glass and left it full. I hope you enjoy that, sir. And he turned and walked off. And I'm thinking, that was incredible. I mean, this is just a great scene. But what would have happened and instead of this cold, classic bottle of Coke, what if the waiter had brought over a cold can of tab? Now look, with my apologies to the 2.3 people in this room that actually like tab, I, I will say this, that, that if he had brought the can of tab over, it doesn't matter how he presented it. It doesn't matter how great it looked. It doesn't matter if you could see, you know, the coldness glistening on the can. It's the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, it's not what was ordered. See, the reality is someone has said at the end of the day, a preacher and pastor's responsibility is not much more different than a waiter. Get the food to the table. But it has to be the right food. See, sound doctrine matters. You, you can't just say anything. You have to be sure that it is God's message. You have to be sure it's the right food. Paul says, Titus, you need to be sure that you're speaking sound doctrine. And how does it need to be spoken? Well, look what he says next. He says it needs to be done with exhortation. To exhort means to encourage or to comfort. Now, it just doesn't mean to encourage or comfort like make you feel better on Sunday morning. Or make you feel better just because you're listening to a message or a Sunday school lesson or anything else. The idea behind exhorting is to encourage you, here's something about God, now go live as if that is true. See, it's not just about living a better life, it's about living a more godly life, a more God-centered life, a more God-focused life. Let me see if I can kind of make that practical. Here is what God promised those who trust in him. That's what he said to Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Those aren't just fancy words from a religious book. Those are the actual words of God that he gave to Isaiah that still come down to us today. This is still true. God will help us. Those are powerful, they're helpful, they're sufficient for every single moment of life, regardless of what you fill in the blank. Now, what does that look like in real life? Okay, so there's the Bible verse, God do not be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'll be your God. I'll strengthen you. So that's, that's the Bible verse. That's the truth. That's the message. So if we don't say that, then we've got nothing to look to next. But that's the message. So how does the message play out in real life? 
Listen to these words from a friend describing what it was like to survive adultery. This is what he writes. I found myself cast down and I could not get back to my feet. But God was there. He was working. He brought me through the long nightmare of my soul. I did not come through perfectly. I stumbled all over the place as my Father persevered for me. Love that last part. See, he wasn't always persevering. He wasn't always hanging in there. He wasn't always having a good day. Some days were dark and hurtful and full of pain. But God was always working. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. That's the message. That's sound doctrine. See, sound doctrine can get into the darkest moment of your life because sound doctrine is about God. It's not about you and it's not about the moment. It's about God. And when we get the truth about God, it gets into the moment. So when it comes to communicating sound doctrine with this word exhortation, it means this, that you are encouraging someone, this, this is who God is. Live in that. Rest in that. Hope in that. And even though the darkness may not lift today, it will lift the more you keep your eyes here, the more you see who he is. Because really what we're doing is we're trying to help people see this God has always proven himself. Always. There's, There's never been a time where God dropped the ball in the corner of the end zone. There's never been a time where God has thrown an interception. He has never failed. He will never fail. That's why we sing to him. That's why we worship him. That's why we exhort each other. Because this is our God. This is who he is. Paul says you need to speak and you need to exhort with sound doctrine. And he also says you need to reprove. What does it mean to reprove? Well, reprove also means to rebuke. Reprove is, in practical language, is getting your toes stepped on. Reprove and rebuke, it means to to bring to light, to expose, particularly to expose sin. And it's not just a a sermon. It's not just a sentence. Reproving, in a biblical sense, is is more of a process. It's not just a a one-time thing. You know, I think all of us may have heard a sermon at some point in our life that, that stuck with us, and, and we, we remember everything about that sermon. For me, I can remember driving down Highway 1 uh, in North Carolina, listening to a sermon by John Piper entitled, Doing Missions When Dying is Gain. I'll never forget a word of that sermon, because it grabbed me like nothing else. So there are those sermons out there that stick out in our minds, but reproving is more like this. It's when your pastor preaches through the whole book of Titus (laughs) and he does it over a longer period of time. 
not just in, in one sermon. And, and over time, what happens is you, you keep hearing the message of God. You keep hearing the truth of God. And, and over time, that, that starts to catch on in your heart. It's, it's not just a one and done. It's not just a, a flash in the pan. But it's a, a process. It's a process of making sure that when we listen to sermons or Sunday school lessons, when we listen to youth group on Wednesday night, when we listen to kids worship or, or wherever it is that we're hearing God's truth, Reproof means that we get past just saying, hey, great sermon. Hey, wonderful lesson. We get past going, man, I, I sure hope Bubba Ray and Betty Faye were listening to that today. Boy, they really needed to hear that. We get past all of those things. Reproving is when we begin to listen in such a way that we start going, oh, man, that's, that's me. Man, that's, that's me. I, I need to hear that. I, I need that. God, help me. God, help me to forgive. God, help me to love. God, help me to change. God, set me free from my sin. God, give me this hope that you have promised me. Get me away from me and help me to see you more. That's what reproof does. It, it makes us start raising our hand to God in the sermon. Okay, God, that's me. It makes us start looking in that mirror and saying, God, please help me get what I need from this moment. William Barclay put it this way. The Christian message is no opiate to send men to sleep. It is no comfortable assurance that everything will be all right. It is rather the blinding light which shows men themselves as they are and God as he is. See, that's how I want you to show up on Sunday morning for Sunday school, for the gospel project. It's how I want you to show up on Sunday mornings for the sermon or, or Wednesday night for Bible study or, or maybe for your devotion time or, or wherever it is that you engage with the Bible. Show up with that mentality. God, show me you and show me me. Show me you and, and show me me. Help, help me get this. See, Paul's writing this letter, but he doesn't want it just to, to be some letter that gets filed away in a cabinet somewhere. He wants Titus to keep teaching these things, to, to speak these things, to exhort these things, and to reprove and rebuke, to, to let the truth hurt the feelings in the way that it's supposed to. And how is he supposed to do all of these things? Look at the next part of verse 15. He's supposed to do them with all authority. My mom has always been a, a comic strip person in the newspaper. I always read those things to me or pointed them out, cut them out to me, give them to me. And one of the ones that I've heard her a quote many times over the years is Frank and Ernest. If you ever seen Frank and Ernest, two guys hanging out, and they're always in the middle of something. And there was one particular time that Frank and Ernest are standing in front of the gates of heaven. And St. Peter is standing there, and he's got a scowl on his face looking over at Ernest. And Frank turns to Ernest and says, Hey, Ernie, you might want to change your T-shirt before we go in. Because the front of Ernie's T-shirt said, Question Authority. That's the culture we live in, right? We live in a culture of questioning authority. We, we live in a culture where we're always supposed to fight for our rights. That nobody can tell us what to do. We're our own man. We're our own woman. We can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We, we need to be looking out for number one. We live in a culture where authority is looked down upon. It's not something that is encouraged. But let me again give the same imagery we've used the last two weeks one more time to help us think through that. If you're out in a body of water and you're drowning in a whirlpool 
and you reach up above the surface of the water, you are not reaching up to fight for your rights. You are reaching up, hoping that someone with more authority than you will grab you and rescue you. Sound doctrine moves us into these scenarios in our minds. It moves us away from the culture of the world. See, you may have some measure of authority in your home. You may may have some measure of authority at work. You may have some measure of authority in, in a lot of different areas of your life. But when it comes to the condition and the destination of your eternal soul, you have no authority. You need help. You need to be rescued, but you can't rescue yourself. You need to be saved, but you can't save yourself. You need someone to grab your hand. You need someone to save you. Jesus Christ is that someone. In fact, there is no one else. We sang this earlier in the service. He gave his perfect life. Show of hands, whobody in this room is perfect? Please don't raise your hand because we'll have to hurt your feelings, okay? We're not perfect. There's only one that was perfect. And he gave his perfect life to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus is the one who can rescue you. And he's the only one. This is what the Bible says about Jesus. The Bible says he died for the sins of the world. He is the only way to be saved from God's wrath. And he is the only way your sin can be forgiven forever forever. See, nobody else has that kind of authority. No one has that kind of authority. Nobody but Jesus. See, that's sound doctrine. That's that's the message of the Bible. The authority of the message comes from this truth. So if the messenger is communicating this message, then the message has authority because it is God's message. And God's message is full and final and ultimate. Or maybe put another way to make it a little more real, it means the sermons are not options. You know, the, the sermons are not something that, that we just may or may not like. See, the, the sermon is supposed to be communicating the sound doctrine of the Bible. So that makes it no longer a suggestion, but really it makes it a command. Not a command of the pastor, but a command from God. You see, I have absolutely no authority apart from the Word of God. None. I have no authority. Look, I've got opinions, I've got ideas, I've got comments, I've got suggestions, but my only authority comes from getting God's message right. That's the only authority I really have. This is what Peter said to the elders in the church. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Examples. This, this is part of the message. This is part of sound doctrine is being an example. Not just me, but all of us as believers being an example. I want you to listen and look at these two lists here. Two different lists. Just think through these. Here's the first list. Professional, confident, creative, visionary, and proactive. Okay? Professional, confident, creative, visionary, and proactive. Now here's the second list. Humble, faithful, prayerful, diligent, and honest. And I want you to look at those two lists. 
Which one of those lists sounds like what God is primarily looking for in a church leader? And then which one of those lists, if we're honest with ourselves, are we usually using and looking for a church leader? Sure, there might be a little mix and match, I agree. But the reality is if we look at the priority, the priority is rarely what we're focused on. What God is calling us to put our eyes on as Christians sometimes is not what we're focused on. And here's the thing, if we get the wrong list, things are not going to work out right. In other words, if we're, if we're doing things opposite from how God would do them and opposite from how God has called us to do them, then things are not going to work out right. And if I put this in the context of what Paul's writing about with authority, it means this. It means that if you worship authority, things are not going to work. But it also means if you ignore and avoid authority, things are not going to work. There is a balance between the two. Stephen Cole writes this. When it comes to the church, most American evangelicals do not view it as a place where you submit to the leadership for the purpose of growth and accountability, but rather as a store where you shop as a consumer. If you like the place and it services your needs, you come back. If another place down the road offers a more pleasant experience, you move your business there. Thus, pastors who are trying to market their churches don't dare say anything that might offend or upset the customers. The customer is king. You want to please your customers. With this consumer view about the church, the idea of spiritual authority, of proclaiming, thus says the Lord, seems odd and out of place. That's a true statement. Odd and out of place. Thus says the Lord. We live in a culture that that is not a popular sentence because nobody really wants to hear what God has to say far too often. We define everything by our opinions. We define everything by our preferences. And we forget the very truth of God. Listen, you may not like my hair or my clothes or my car or my, my brand of mayonnaise or, you know, my, my favorite flavor of ice cream, my favorite sports team. And you may not like the way I do certain things in the church. But if I get the message right, then, then just work with me. I'll do everything I can to be the opposite of what Peter said. I'll do everything I can not to be an annoying, domineering jerk. But if I get the message right, then then just just work with me. You see, the reality is when you begin to think about this message that we have, this truth that we have, it's everything that we have. It's, It's exactly what we need. And so the reality is if if I am fighting for authority. That's just a huge waste of time, and it's a real pain. And if you're fighting against authority, it's just a huge waste of time, and it's, and it's a real pain. So, so what God's called the church to do is to put all of our authority eggs in the same basket, and that's in his word, his truth, his story, his message. That's where we put our authority then you don't become the authority, and I don't become the authority. We have one authority, and it's the truth of God. Paul's writing to these new Christians, really, this this first-time church in some ways, and saying, look, get this part right. If you can get this part right, so much else can work out. And listen, I don't care if you're talking about a marriage or a church or a business. Most of the time, you can track authority back to why things are wrong. 
And in the church, it's usually because we've quit using God's word as the authority and the final authority. God's calling us to work together to make his word the authority. Paul gives one more thing here, though. And he, he's writing again to Titus, but again, this letter is going to be read in front of the whole church. So the whole church is going to hear the sentence. And so it's kind of interesting. Look at the last part of verse 15. Let no one disregard you. It's really interesting. You've got to think if it's Titus, he's got to stand up in front of everybody. And he's reading, all right, and next he says, don't disregard me. You know, it's kind of a hard thing to do. But, but there's a, a two-sided coin here even in this picture. Because, again, it's still about dodging sound doctrine. You see, the disregarding here keeps coming back to the truth about Jesus, the truth of the message. The word disregard here, it means to go around. It means to, to overlook. And so, in a sense, what Paul is saying is this, Titus, don't overlook sound doctrine. And he's saying to the church, church, don't overlook sound doctrine. And he's saying, Titus, don't, don't fill your life with fancy visions and, and fancy programs and acronyms and things that rhyme and, and flashing lights and all this stuff and go around the gospel while you're doing those things. And he's saying, church, don't be looking for fancy visions and, and fancy programs and things that rhyme and acronyms and flashing lights and ignore and go around the gospel. Paul's writing, he says, look, Titus, don't dodge the truth. And he's saying, church, don't dodge the truth. Titus, don't, don't dodge giving the church the truth. And church, don't dodge the truth that Titus gives. That's not just for the island of Crete, is it? It's, it's still here for us today. See, there's, there's three things, primary things that God's called me to do. And he's called me to do them because they're commanded by him, because they're necessary, and because they're good for me, and they are good for you. And these are those three things. I'm supposed to speak, I'm supposed to exhort, and I'm supposed to reprove. But then there's also three things that you're supposed to do, and you're supposed to do them because they're commanded, because they're necessary, and because they're good for me, and they are good for you. And those three things you're supposed to hear, you're supposed to believe, and you're supposed to obey. It sounds a little overly simple, right? But again, the reason that I'm speaking and exhorting and improving is because I have this incredible story about Jesus to give to you. And the reason that you're hearing and believing and obeying is because you're convinced this story about Jesus is incredible. And you can't wait to listen to what he wants you to do next and how you can follow him and how you can get mercy for the darkest moments of life. Neither one of us can accomplish our list, so to speak. We can't pursue those things if we don't have the right focus. So what is the right focus? James Denny puts it really clear. You cannot at the same time give the impression that you are a great preacher and that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. <laughs> that is so good. I'm going to read it again. You cannot at the same time give the impression that you are a great preacher and that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. Here's what that means. It means that none of this is about me and it's not about you. It's not about Holland Avenue Baptist Church. It is not about any of us being great or cool or well-known. Never has been, never will be. What that means is that we have a great Savior. 
In fact, we have the great Savior. See, that's our message. That's what we cannot dodge. And quite frankly, we shouldn't want to dodge it because he is the great Savior. He is the Lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is the hope for the darkest moment in the universe. So we don't dodge him. We make much of him. I pray that God will help us to be really bad dodgeball players, but that we would be great followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the simplicity of your word. You're never trying to confuse us. You're never trying to make it hard on us. When we come to the things in the Bible that we may not completely understand, thank you that there's so many things we do understand. And one of those things is that your son, fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ, came to bring life, came to bring love, came to rescue and to give hope and freedom. And so this morning, would you help us to feel that deep down? Would you help us not to think of things like sound doctrine as theology, and just fancy words that, that we use, but we would see these things as the reason we have hope, that the truth about Jesus is why we have hope. So give us hope. Give us hope. In Jesus' name. Our closing song this morning is, I Surrender All. It is probably a familiar song for many of us, but I encourage you to sing it as if it's not familiar. I encourage you to sing it as if this morning all over again you are surrendering. There's something you need to surrender today. There's something happening in your marriage. There's something happening with your kids. There's something happening at work. There's some problem you're experiencing with your health. There's some problem you're experiencing in your home, in your life. There's some mental thing that you can't shake. There's, there's something this morning that you need to surrender. And I pray that God would move your heart, help your heart to surrender to him. Not to me and, and not to the church, but, but primarily and first to Jesus Christ. He's the authority. His truth, his hope is the authority. Maybe when you hear a story about a man surviving adultery, you think to yourself, I could never do that. And that may mean that you don't know the God of the universe because the God of the universe says, he will strengthen you, he will help you, he will be there for you, he will never leave you. If you don't have that confidence this morning, then we plead with you to come to Jesus Christ. There is no greater reality in the universe than being right with Jesus. You come and surrender to him today. I'll be down at the front for just a few moments if you need to talk to someone about what it means to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means to, to be rescued, and what it means to have hope. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We would encourage you to, to come and be a part of our family here. Maybe God's calling you to do something very specific this week. Maybe you just need to, to come and pray about that. That's fine too. But regardless of what God's doing in your heart, every single person in this room has something to surrender to. None of us are 
are off the map here. All of us have some aspect of our life that we need to raise our hand, look in the mirror, and say, yeah, God, that's me. Would you help me? Would you free me even more today? I'll be down at the front if you need to talk or pray with anyone. And I need just going to lead us as we stand and sing, I surrender all.